Welcome to episode 32 of the Talent Athlete Podcast. Today's topic, bootstrapping a business. Hosted by me, Jared Brown, and as always, Brandon Corbin. Hello. <laughs> it gets lower every time. <laughs> Pretty soon we're just not even going to hear it. <laughs> you can't hear my word. <laughs> Our guest this episode is Aaron Lurch. Hey, Aaron. Hey, what's up? Thanks for joining us. First, before we get into the topic, let's talk about what we're drinking. And we'll start with you this time, Aaron. After my night last night and my day today, I went for a 24-ounce Mike's Hard Lemonade. And it's nice. already two-thirds gone. <laughs> hopefully, you, <laughs> hopefully you have something else to get you through the rest of the episode. I'll sip. Excellent. All right, Brandon. Hit us with what you're drinking tonight. I'm having a Woodchuck hard cider. Ooh, Woodchuck, huh? Yeah, yeah. I uh, had a little get-together and picked up a six-pack of them, and I was like, damn, these things are really good, and you can drink them insanely fast. You can. And like, I'd already had some wine. Fast. I know. Like, like you should, before you sit down and you get one on draft, have a glass of water. Mm-hmm. Because that way, then you don't be like, and be like, oh, I need another one. Um, this yeah. quenches the thirst. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's good. It's very good. Nice. What about you? I'm having. I, I heard that Aaron was going to have some Mike's, and I've got some Mike's margaritas, which aren't too bad, really, for margarita in a bottle. So I grabbed two of those and chugging down some margaritas. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. And, and I get them at Sam's Club. So <laughs> <laughs> love buying my liquor at Sam's Club. All right. Well. <laughs> We uh, we can just jump right into the topic. We don't have any real warm up discussion this time. No big news or anything. So, and this is good because it'll give us a lot of time to talk about bootstrapping. I think we've got a ton of good information here from Aaron to uh, go over. So let's just jump right into uh, how give like what are some tips, Aaron? How we can start bootstrapping a business without spending a dime? What is some of the stuff you can do that doesn't require any money? Yeah. So um, maybe first I should say that. Uh, uh, I did this once, so I, I'm a full-time software developer. I, I'm not a like an entrepreneur kind of like just strike out and try some crap. So I'm a strike out and try some off, crap. You don't live What's off that? ramen and uh, like a dollar I, I, a day. You know, in college, I spent an entire summer living off of nothing but mac and cheese, and then I couldn't look at mac and cheese for <laughs> five five or six years. Uh, so I'm scared to even try that with ramen. No, my wife. That's is like awesome me cook. and caviar. Same, totally <laughs> right. same thing. Yes, yes. And champagne. I think we all. I can't that. look at champagne anymore. <laughs> yeah. So no, I'm not a ramen. I'm not a ramen guy. I'm a full time software guy who started something on the side, gave yeah. it gave it a go. Uh, you know, while keeping my job, learned a ton of crap, um, especially about what I could do. Like you said, that doesn't cost anything. Because the nice thing about doing it on the side was I was like until you know i wasn't all in and so i was like i'm not i'm spending as little as possible on this until i know that it's worth spending money on so right that's kind of how i separated out what i did i kind of split it out into like stuff i'm gonna do that doesn't cost me anything except time so time that's time is valuable but that's that's something i had available right on so real quick before we jump into some of these tips then what was it that you were working on where you got this experience uh it's called it was called note the note the was we'll probably get there later uh it was called beautiful savings which is a um an online coupon an on how to, how, you know 
Maybe that's one of my problems. I didn't know how to explain it. It's an <laughs> online yep. coupons for local businesses, local small businesses. So, so everybody always said, what, you know, what is this Groupon? And the idea is, no, it's it's like coupons in your newspaper, uh, except they're online. You can use You know, you could show your phone and declare them that way, you know, redeem them that way. You could print it off, uh, stuff like that. But it was basically just general coupon, coupon based advertising for local businesses. Um, Coupons for indie, baby, was the one that all the geeks wanted to take down. Yeah. So that was that was the, the they're the king of Indianapolis. Uh, ghetto, ghetto, total ghetto. Oh my god! And, it looks like a seven-year-old made it in front page in like '95. So this but is here's actually the secret. <laughs> Those assholes are everywhere. Yes. They yep. have. They must have a million people on the street going door to door to every retail establishment, from you know Cicero to Greenwood, and everywhere. You cannot go anywhere without running into them. It's crazy. And they put the signs up on the business, mm-hmm. like on the in the window, and yep. they describe themselves because I used them today actually, and they describe themselves as sure. a free coupon <laughs> service. So that's those are the keywords they use when they describe themselves. So I wasn't going to go into this part too much because that's <laughs> well. That I mean, there's a lot of stuff about what I did with Beautiful Savings that I found interesting. In that it was, it what Beautiful Savings was an online. You know, I'm a developer. It was a website. It was a web app that people could use, but it was different in that it was targeted very local, right? So like it had to do with with specifically for. Um, a local presence like that. So online advertising is part of it, but not much, not, not, not all of it. Right. So like the local in the store stuff, I wasn't really going to go into that today because that's not as globally relevant. Right. Um, But but it it does segue a little kind of nicely into researching your competitors. And what are some free things that you did when you researched your competitors? Yeah. So, um, obviously, (laughs) Obviously doing sounds like you're. I'm sorry. It sounds like you're making uh, balloon animals over there. (laughs) Sorry, I I have to admit that I am. uh, It's it's aerodactyl. There's a four year old party going on over there. (laughs) I I found that if you take a balloon, put it on the top of Mike's Hard Lemonade, and shake it, it it does some funky stuff. But yeah, sorry. Is it better now? It is. Okay, I'll cut out the balloon animals. It's a skill I always wished I could learn. Gotta hold my head still. Anyway, what was I saying before I did the blue researching animals? your competitors? And th- this is something interesting you did when you looked at who was using coupons for indie, right? Which businesses? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, I, I researched local uh, online coupon stuff, and surprisingly, there's a decent number of them. Uh, there was like four or five, but that was pretty easy to find out. But like when I was targeting, so when I was doing beautiful savings, one of the things I had to do is in researching my customers or my competitors. The customers of my competitors were my potential customers as well. So being a software guy, of course, I wrote a Ruby script to screen scrape their website, download a spreadsheet of their customers, including their locations, did a Google geolocation lookup on them, and then plotted that using, I think it's uh, it's been a long time now, but K, KML. Right. Uh, you can import that into Google Maps, and it uh, it plots. So basically, it plotted a, a nice uh visualization of where where my competitors were being successful in selling to local businesses that's pretty awesome and then you had a list of everybody who you could just go talk to right yeah we could do that yep and and i thought about sending out mailers and stuff but those just get thrown in the garbage so that was a no-go 
Right. Did did you did you follow up with them? Yeah. Not all of them, uh, but yes. And let me say, as a software guy, uh, I hate sales. Yeah. I mean, mm. I've always known that I'm not a big fan of salespeople. In fact, I might almost say I hate salespeople, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I got to say, I really, really do not like selling people stuff. But mostly my personality, partly being a software guy. But So I went to a number of them. I quickly found uh, some friends that would be willing to do that for me, specifically some either a more attractive or better at selling things or just anybody who was interested in selling. I was like, I'll give you a commission, go out and sell to these people, but here's a map. Here's a list, stuff like that. Cool. All right. So that's a pretty good, that's a good tip. If, if you've got customers that you're, that are in the real world, you know, not like via email address, but actual locations, you just go and try to get that off of another competitor's website and boom, you've got your sales list. But even looking at customers, so even outside the <laughs> the real world, but into like virtual world, you know, like knowing who your competitors are, what's their market, mm-hmm. who are they, who are they selling to? Because so here's the other thing: is a lot of online business stuff these days. It seems like the business model is we'll get a ton of users and then we'll figure out how to make money off it. All right. Which I don't know. Not a huge fan of that in terms of like actually building a sustainable business. I like to sort of have an idea of how I'm going to make money before I kind of go into it, but well, um, and it, step one: get lots of users. Not exactly easy to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done. Like, totally. <laughs> oh, that's all we have to do. Oh, why didn't anybody tell us that sooner? Yeah, let's just go get tens of thousands of users. Yeah, nice try. Yeah. So most businesses probably need to be started slowly over the course of years, even, and you know, built up little by little. So you. Like you're saying, I definitely could see where you need to make some money earlier on to keep that going, keep you motivated. You know, even yeah. if it's just a little bit, you know, you're not living off of it, but you got to show that it's being validated and that exactly. people want to pay for what you're doing. And that you just said the key word right there is validation. Like you need to validate your idea, right? Like if if it's not something that's going to make money, you need to know that as soon as possible so you can do what they call pivoting or whatever you want to call it. You can do something different that will make Shit you money. canning. <laughs> exactly <laughs> mercilessly killing yeah. but you need to do that based on i've heard of tons of places that do that and uh, hyperbole right but i've heard of tons of places that do that uh, based on almost sometimes it feels like arbitrary arbitrary data arbitrary like the mm. lack of data almost um you really need to validate your idea based on actual data like no one's buying my stuff, so you know that's actual data. But so part of part of it is going around talking to these people about uh, just whether they will purchase your product and whatnot. But uh, part of it too is just getting feedback and suggestions from them, right? Which could help shape your product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but talk to people. Just to, uh, my wife and I. So we did online coupons, right? Local businesses. My my wife's family lives in Kansas. So we we're out in Kansas. We we're on a date at some grill and bar place and i asked to talk to the owner and it was a low low um hang on i'm gonna make balloon animals for a second (laughs) okay uh a swan uh uh, and i asked son of i asked to talk to the owner and i was like so this is an idea i'm kicking around it's not you know i'm not trying to sell you anything i don't even live here uh you know i just driving through but what do you think of this? You know, is this something you'd buy? I noticed that you do this kind of advertising. What do you think of that? How does that work? Um, 
what do you find successful about it? What do you wish it could do instead? Just having conversations with people. He he wasn't even a sales prospect. He wasn't somebody that I was like potentially going to go back and sell to. Um, but just found out, you know, what what is he thinking? Get inside his head as a small business owner. Because again, that was my target uh, in terms of sales was small business owner. Right. I, but I also talked to other people in Indianapolis here, for example, that were in my target market. And I said, if I, I'm going to go build this thing, here's what I'm starting to build. I'm going to, what do you think about this? Blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to come back. If I come back later, would you sign up and buy this? Which from a, from a, from a, a guy who was in doing sales because he had to, not because he wanted to, Mm -hmm. that was a very, I liked that because it was low pressure at the moment, but it told me whether I would have, I had a connection for when I came back later and those people did sign up and did, you know, agree to pay me for whatever it was that I was building. So, yeah, I've heard that from a, a bunch of people that the no sell approach in the beginning really works well. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I'm just here, and and it's great when you can find out what their problem, you know, what their problems are, and if you can solve their problems, well, you know that they're going to be a customer. They told you what to go build, right? Or they told you what their problems were, so you knew you could go solve them. Yeah, and then if you exactly. do that, I mean, they. Of course, like such a huge percentage, 90% of them or more are going to say, oh, yeah, you know, I'll give you some cash as long as it's reasonably priced. So on my – so like I said, the keyword being was my business, I uh, just to jump ahead a bit, I, I've shut this thing down in the meantime. I'm not doing it anymore. There's a whole bunch of reasons behind it. I kind of went into it on a blog post. But one of them was was that um, I found out what people's – what people thought about I, f- I found out what small business owners were thinking about online coupons or advertising that they did what i didn't find out was that they really don't give a rip <laughs> and like they gave a rip just enough to talk to me about it and they're very friendly we live in the midwest so everybody's friendly nobody's going to actually tell you what they think and they told me what they thought about some of that stuff but they didn't actually tell me that 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 coupons is such a low it's so low on their priority list and it's such a small thing. And most of them do it because they think that's what they're supposed to do, but Mm. they just really don't even want to think about it. They don't want to curate them. They don't want to look at analytics. So one of the things I wanted to mention too, about uh, bootstrapping a business was like only build what you need and absolutely nothing more. For example, in mine, I had, uh, I had no way, no accounts to sign up. These people, I didn't say, okay, go here and log in and sign up and configure your coupons. No, no. They, I emailed them and said, what do you want to put on here? So I, it was a very manual process because I didn't need to automate it yet. But right. at the same token, I, um, I had, uh, I did not have, um, any kind of management. I, I had no reporting, no analytics. I, I used Google analytics, for example, to find out about with some customization to find out how people are using my website. I didn't make that available to my customers in any way. Um, I absolutely would have if they needed it or wanted it. <laughs> I, in fact, I talked to one person and she was like, so do you do online reports and stuff? And I was like, uh, no, I don't. I collect the data and if you want it, I can make it available to you, but I don't have any way to, to do that. Is that something that you you need or, or want? And she was like, uh, no, but uh, you know, I heard somebody else had that and so I thought I'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, so I, I never built that and that's time that I never wasted, you know, that – um, I never needed it. I would have needed it eventually had things been successful, maybe. But but that's so. The, anyway, the whole point there was, you know, that's something that came out over time was that they just don't care about online coupons. That's one of the reasons for Groupon, for example. They, they're sunk costs in, when it comes to um, 
is sales, right? Like their biggest costs are in their sales departments because selling these things to, uh, to local businesses is really difficult because most of the time they either just don't care or they, it's just so low on their list. They're just running a business. They don't care about that stuff. Right. That's actually one of the main reasons I shut down the business was it's, it wasn't sustainable in that way. Sales costs were going to skyrocket. And with my price point, it just wasn't feasible. But that's great. I mean, you validated it in a fairly short period of time. Oh, and yeah. And you really weren't out hardly any money from this because you bootstrapped it so well, right? Exactly. I called it like the my most successful failure ever. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I learned a ton. I learned a ton. I didn't lose a lot of money. And uh, it was just mostly a win, even though, I mean, it could have been a bigger win, but it was you know, so, so if you're, if you're going to start a business, the conventional wisdom is you need to start with a business plan, right? You need to sit down, you need to plan this stuff out and document it. What are your, like, did you have a business plan? What are your thoughts on that? I did not have a business plan and only because that worked out real well for you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to recommend that. I'm not pro, I'm not pro business plan. I just had to take it. (laughs) I I didn't have one because I, you know, I didn't know I needed one. And I say that in huge air quotes, kind of sarcastically, but I was, I, I was having a conversation with a PR specialist who I got connected with and he was asking me what my business plan was. And I was like, I, I don't have one. And I was like, who do I, who do I even show this to? Like, who's it for? Like, do I present this to customers? Like, cause so far the customers I've talked to don't care about it. They've no, no one's asked for it. No one seems to care if I have one or not. And his point was that it helped by writing down my plan. It would help solidify or point or kind of clarify or point out holes and like, what's my mission? What's my purpose? What am I doing? What value am I adding? Mm. And I, I agree with that. I don't, you know, it's, it's important to know that stuff and writing it down can sometimes make it kind of puts it outside your brain and you start to see the deficiencies and the strengths and stuff differently than if you just kind of think about it. Right. Kind of like how we all think we're really smart until we start saying stuff. And then we're like, wait a second, that sounded a lot better in my head. Maybe I'm not that smart. Wait. Couldn't that just be a page or two though? To Absolutely. Run, like your a mission statement. Yeah. Something like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm really curious what you guys think. Cause I, I, I never actually did one. I kind of tried, but then I was like, oh, I got some HTML to write. So I'm going to go do that. <laughs> what do you think on, about this topic, Brandon? All right. So, uh, I, there's definitely a place for a business plan. Um, but it's not until you have, uh, validated the fundamental business, the, the, the prototype business, because a lot of times what happens is, you know, all these people want to get all pumped up. We're going to do a business. We're going to get business cards. We're going to write a big business plan. We're going to do all this shit and we're going to spend all this money and all this time before we ever even see if somebody wants the product. Wait, the and business doesn't just happen when you go do yeah, all those things? Yeah, am, amazingly, no. Um, and so a lot of times, right, we end up and, – and same with the developers. And I've been there and we, you guys have all done it too where we're like, this is genius. Oh, absolutely. And we spend three months building out this thing and never realize what the hell – how do we even get people to see it? Um, so no, I think you don't do a business plan until you're ready to raise money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and what then use it as a means of, okay, where do I want to take this with 5 million bucks, right? This is now my, my big picture, you know, this is where we're going to go. This is where we'd like to see us happen, you know, and it's more of a path for us to try to follow. But, uh, until then don't waste your time. You gotta, you know, you need to be spending time validating that idea before you, you know, you do anything. And at that point too, I mean, you're becoming responsible to and with other people. So you need to have almost a shared 
idea of what's going to happen or what your plan is. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Where it's when, when you're bootstrapping it, it's kind of just you or maybe you and one other guy and or person. I mean, and you know, it's just like a yeah. We don't need to write this crap down. We can just talk yeah. about it. Yeah. The so, one thing I did like about what you said, Aaron, was sometimes it helps to get something out of your brain and see it on paper, or you hear yourself saying it to somebody, and you do get a different perspective. Like, wow. That actually sounded a lot better in my head or, you know, oh, I, I do need to think about that a little bit more. So I, I am a big fan of two two things up front that could be part of a business plan, but I don't think you need to do anything close to the, the size and scope of a business plan. And that is to clearly def- answer the question, what is it? What is it that you're building? So not just like, oh, this is like, you know, like you kind of stumbled through that in the beginning of an event. Like, and you're like, oh, maybe that was part of the problem. Like, you should have that quick, like, elevator pitch response that is no more than maybe a long sentence that you could just say in your sleep. Like, this is exactly what it is. And you say that to somebody, and they have not one question about what the hell it was that you just said you're doing. Like, this is a free coupons, online coupon service where people can go and find coupons and print them for local businesses. Something like that. That's like, mm-hmm. that is clearly what it is. Like, that answers it all right there. And then number two is to come up with that list. Could be a, just a bullet point list of who the users are for this. And that may not just be one constituency of user. It may not just be like, this is for the general public to come and print coupons. Like, no, you have several constituencies, you know, several user bases that you need to satisfy. You have the local business owner, you know, that may actually be able to be broken down into restaurants you know, flower shops, and you might identify that you have more rapport and easier selling tactics with the restaurant owners. So go for that. And maybe within restaurant owners, you're like fast food. Okay. So there's like one big user base or fast food, you know, restaurant owners. Okay. And then number two are the people who are looking for deals, which is different than just like standard consumer of food at restaurants. You know, like these are, that's no, this is like a deal seeker. So maybe like just outline a couple of the quick types of users that are going to be interested in your product so that you have those two things in mind. And I think that is probably all you need out of a business plan early on. Yeah. And, and you bring up some really good points like this. So this PR guy that I talked to, I I, actually, I really liked him. He came well recommended from some people, very expensive, very high end PR guy. I got connected with him. He was way out of the league of what I was, you know, doing at the time, but we had a great conversation. He talked about in terms of the business plan and just in terms of, being able to tell a story about what am I doing? What is mm-hmm. this? Who does it talk to? What is it? What problem does it solve? How does it add value? And he used an example of like uh, pizza places, you know, like the different. So pizza's pizza, right? And um, Pizza Hut and Domino's and all these different places, how they kind of differentiate themselves, right? So he kind of used that as like a, especially in the online coupon space. So I'm one of five local online coupon places. Why should you, you know, it's a, it's a kind of an understood concept. You know, it's not really that complicated. Now I'm going to explain why you should, why you should consider me. You know, that's, that's another thing, but. Right. But it is very easy to gloss over that when you want to jump into the code quick or when you're, when you're there talking to that restaurant owner and, you know, you're just kind of like not totally into it and you haven't rehearsed this. Like, well, it's a coupon website and, you know, you're not super confident about it. Like, and it, it falls apart. Like, if you're not excited about it and you don't clearly understand the the benefits of it and who it's for, you're like, dude, this is great. Like, you know, I found that other businesses in your area love exactly this type of a service. 
you know, I'm targeting these types of deal, you know, people who love deals and are eating out 80% of the time and they go for fast food constantly and, you know, tell that story. So yeah, I would totally agree. I like that aspect. Yeah. But anyway, we can move on from there. That's kind of boring. It's the business side. It's not boring. It's more business side. Um, It's, uh, I mean, this is, isn't this kind of more of a software podcast? Let's, Let's get into some of the software. So how do you build that proof of concept prototype on just a few dimes? What types of services can you leverage to build that system out? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's, it, it depends a lot on technology stack that you want to choose. Um, when it comes to stuff like bootstrapping something like this, I don't know. My opinion is they kind of get started for a couple different reasons. One is you have an idea, you have some va- you know problem that you want to solve or something like that. And you just want to dig in and solve that problem. And you don't want to, you're not really focused on learning something new. You want to use something that you already know and you just want to get it done quickly. Uh, That's one thing, right? That's one reason to choose a particular tech stack. Mm -hmm. Um, Another reason is, and my reason in this case was I wanted to learn something new. And the way I learned something new is not through a hello world or a, what is it? Everybody does a blog engine these days. I wanted to learn something new by building something that was interesting. And so, you know, I saw coupons for indie.com and I was like, yeah, I could. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> that, I think I have a project. Uh, I don't care if this goes anywhere, nowhere. I just want to do this. So um, I wanted to do that. And I did that to learn new technology, which for me was Ruby on. Uh, well, actually, just kind of Ruby frameworks in general. I ended up landing on Ruby on Rails, but I started down the Padrino, Sinatra, a couple of those. Uh, yeah, those are basically the two I, I hit up before I landed on Rails. But um, So depending on your stack, right? I mean, .NET people have, their, uh, have you ever heard of App Harbor? Uh, no. It's kind of like, it's Heroku for .NET. Um, they built it out semi-recently. Um, it runs on, uh, I always say this wrong, Azure. 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 I like Azure. Can I have? I'd like some Azure with my baguette. Yes, <laughs> yes I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a, a little drink here with my pinky finger, well extended. <laughs> Azure. So it runs on Azure, and um, it's for it's it's basically Heroku for .NET. But in my case, since I was learning Rails uh, or Ruby based stuff at the time, that's all Heroku supported. Uh, that was before they added, I think, what Java support and a couple other things, Python maybe. I don't remember. Yeah, they've added um, a lot to it. But Google App Engine is another one. But there's a couple of these hosting services that offer free tiers so that it's free up until – well, in Heroku's case, for example, it's not based on – I don't think it's based on bandwidth or anything like that. But they do, you're just limited, right? Like you get, one, you get one dyno for free. Yeah, so it's like a single worker process that's processing requests. And yep. if they queue up, they queue up. You know, you're not going to be pumping through them any faster than that. So it's it's more limited on ability to process than it is bandwidth or anything like that. But there's there's these things in kind of most of the tech stacks that are out there tend to have something like this. So a cloud service. Cloud services are huge because especially companies that have an API. So I used Index Tank, which uh, LinkedIn ended up buying them for their talent and then just saying screw you to the business, Um, which that's their prerogative, but it was kind of sucky. Now there's open source replaces. So, but LinkedIn, they did redeem themselves by open sourcing the LinkedIn or by, uh, they open sourced the index tank technology. Do you want a couple other people have picked that up? You want to give a quick shout out to the replacement you use, Brandon? What was is this, it? Is it Searchify? You, remember when you were using index tank, right? Oh the, yeah. Yeah. The guy Searchify. Down, 
What Searchify. is it? Searchify. Searchify. Yeah. Searchify.com. Those guys are, hey, that dude's killing it. Yeah. And I, I've been using it exclusively for our search at ViewU. And yeah, that thing's fucking awesome. Do they have yeah. a free tier or how expensive is the cheapest um, plan? You know, I no, think they, they do. They I just it, got rid of it. Yeah. So I, I, I now, you know, depending on what you're building, contact them, reach out and reach, you know, uh, hit them up. And, you know, I'm sure you can work something out. And, you know, that's so some of these online tools like this, these cloud based APIs or whatever you want to call them, they um, they're pretty awesome. A lot of times you just contact them and they can work something out with you if you can't, you know, if you're not ready to pay yet or but, you know, you will be. Um, the the index tank guys were awesome. I was I would be chatting with them at like two in the morning, and they you know they'd be upgrading my account to handle something that I wanted to try. And I don't know, they were pretty awesome. So there's nice. sounds like Searchify's kind of along those lines. But yeah, that's been my general impression from a lot of these businesses, these startups. When you contact them, they're 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 ready to help. That's a great tip. Yeah. Uh, so when you're programming this thing. You know, you've got all these features in your mind. You've got, you know, the, this whole version 1.0 concept. But you you want to do a lot less than you initially set out to build, right? I mean, you want to start really minimal. Is that what you'd recommend for a, uh, like, what, what would you say? Is, uh, what I'd you say tell go people? for the whole thing. No. <laughs> yeah. Go for V5 right at the, right <laughs> at the start. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, for example, like we're software guys, right? So like we geek out, we, we, we just love building, building things and we want to, you know, I don't know about you, but when I looked at beautiful savings, for example, I was thinking of all the stuff I could do, making lists and just thinking about features and totally geeking out about it. And then I just started looking at, in my case, it was a little bit easier because I still had a full-time job. So I was looking at how much time do I have? I had a full-time job, a wife, three kids. I'm like... <laughs> I got about 15 minutes every other day to work on this thing. Let's see, what can I do? And in my case, that actually made it a lot easier to cut out things. And it was just, I was, there was red everywhere. I was just slashing and slashing. And I mean, administrative interfaces, I was doing stuff on the command line. I think you said with Talentopoly at the beginning, you were, you were just like remoting in and doing things on the command oh, line. Yeah, I still don't. I have no back end at all. No, no GUI. You still don't even have one. No. I mean, it's, it's just, I'm awesome. the only customer to that. So. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of bare minimum, and as much as I am a fan of it, I'm, I still suck at it. Like, oh, yeah. I will build something out, and before I get lots of user feedback, and then I start getting the user feedback, I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't need this or that or this, and I start removing code. Yep. So, I mean, in your note, so I'm reading off the notes here, and your note, Aaron, is just classic. It's do, <laughs> the, do the bare minimum, the bare minimum in yeah. all capitals. <laughs> I love this. You can't overstate that. I know. And as software people especially, I mean, because we're in it for the building, it's almost like by its nature. I think there's there's an awesome – I'll try and find it. We could put it maybe in the show notes or whatever. But there was there's an awesome comic of – some guy that's like looking at a, a basically a, a flattened out space where they're going to build, he's going to build a, a structure like a building. And it's, and you know, he's a software guy. He's like, look at this. I have a brand new sandbox to build my thing. And then mm-hmm. like the next frame is like this, this like house that's on stilts with like a rope ladder connected to another house <laughs> on stilts. And he's like, Son of a bitch, I did it again. You know? yeah. <laughs> but it's like we just build stuff because we love building things. And, you know, and I think that one had more to do with, you know, the way we build them. But right. it was we just want to build. And especially if you're bootstrapping a biz, then you've got to you've you've got to rein in your developer urges. Yes. 
Sorry, that was a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about payment processing. Because at some point you got to get to actually accepting money, right? Right. That's well, no, no. First thing you need is a user sign up because that's how you make. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you just get lots of users. Well, initially you just like drive over and pick the money up, right? Is that the bare minimum version? Yeah. You know what? Honestly, totally. This was <laughs> You're a like, big, yes. <laughs> this, this, yeah, this was a big mistake I made with mine. I signed up for, I, I put it off as long as I could. Uh, but I ended up signing up for, I, I got a merchant gateway. This was before Stripe came out. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, from what I've heard, and I'm going to use Stripe in a, in a side project I have going that I'm going to be using very soon. With, so I'm going to be using Stripe because I've heard awesome things like Brandon, you've talked about it. Other people have just raved about it. Love it. You still love it? Oh, hell yeah. It's, it's so, it's just, it's awesome. Okay. And uh, I signed up with Braintree, which was a great service. They were very helpful, very friendly. Very responsive. Totally recommend them if you need more than what Stripe can offer. For example, I've I think heard good even, things about them as well. Yeah, and they're and they're. I met the guys at a. Uh, I think it was at the Innovation Showcase a couple of years ago here in Indianapolis. Interesting. Nice guys, um, and they integrate. I think they even integrate with Stripe. I, I don't understand how that works, but I saw an email from them that talked about integrating with it. But we you will charge your customers twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but they offer more features and stuff, and I signed up with uh, a merchant gateway to be able to support all that. And you know that costs a couple hundred bucks a month, I think. So no, maybe a hundred bucks a month. I don't remember. I only ended up paying for like one or two months because Ooh. I sort of shut things down shortly after that. But honestly, what I did from the start uh, for payment, if I needed to take payment, was uh, Square. I used Square because in my case, I was hitting up local businesses. And being able to pull out my iPhone and I bought an iPad with 3G, that was a totally legitimate business expense, by the way. I, <laughs> I, had 3G. I needed that for my business. Absolutely. I had to have it. That's the story I'm still sticking to because it's <laughs> sitting here in front of me. Um, but Square, I, I brought Square. I'd go into a customer site or you know, a customer's place. If they signed up. I could use Square right then and there. And uh, it was a no monthly fee. You know, It's perfect. I like it. Yeah, my little story on that is the Townopoly job board is uh, going to be launched pretty soon. And instead of taking the time to build any sort of payment gateway in there, like Stripe, which is what I'll probably end up using, I'm right now just letting you list, you know, you, you create the job listing. It sends me the email saying, hey, there's a new job listing. And then I will send you a PayPal invoice, totally manual and totally bare minimum. Yeah. So I don't have to build anything right now because I don't even know if anybody wants to list jobs. So I haven't validated far enough I, in my mind to warrant the time to build out the payment system. You guys familiar with uh, the Buffer app for Twitter and Facebook? It's for managing I, I live. I live by it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, I think Joel is the guy that started it. Uh, uh-huh. And he, he bootstrapped stuff from what I remember reading. And he – I don't know him. I'm just – going from what he's put on the net. And he said, I think, that his first – he didn't implement any payment system until he had like 10 people pay, pay him. He did it exactly as you just said through PayPal invoices, all manual. Once he validated that people would pay him for this, then he implemented the payment system. That's smart. I like that. Yeah. That's, what I, that's what I did with my domain garage sale. How's that, that going, by the thing? way? Fine. I'm selling – I've sold one a week. Nice. <laughs> 
And, and again, all it is is the buy now button. It's a form and it emails me and then I email you a PayPal, a PayPal button. <laughs> nice. And that's, that's, that's all I'm going to do. And I literally built that thing in, in three hours on Sunday night and launched it. Um, and I launched, I launched that and two other things. Just to, again, I want to just a proof of concept that takes me no more than three hours to see if there's any market there at all. And, uh, you know, two of them or one of them is a complete failure. The other two are looking like, yeah, they might actually be worth investing. Very yeah. cool. So what yeah. other tips do you have for us, Aaron? Uh, the only other ones that I thought of uh, as I was setting things up were, you know, like you got your domain. So I put that as something that costs a dime. So what I did uh, what I tend to do is, I don't know what I think about this anymore, but you know, GoDaddy's pretty scummy, and I'm, I'm not a, I'm, a, I'm not a fan of them. But, but they do these like a dollar a domain sales, and mm. I'm like, you know, my morals as it goes to you know supporting a what I think is a scummy company, yeah, I'll only go so far with that. For a buck, I'll still register a domain with you. Right. So I'll still register those domains frequently if there's a dollar sale or something like that. But, you know, Namecheap or something like that, you can register a domain. That's not very expensive. That's typically one of the first things you do. Although, just as a quick aside, I think one a really valuable practice that I wish I would have done with Beautiful Savings is I heard this from uh, the guy that does oatmeal. What's his name? Oh, I, I know of the blog. I don't know who does it. It's uh, hilarious Ma- blog. Matt, Matt Inman or something like that. <clears throat> Oatmeal? Yeah, Oatmeal's amazing. But before that, he built and sold uh, an online dating service website. Hmm. He built it in, I think it was like 60 hours. And he has a whole thing about how I built this in 60 hours and he sold it for millions or something. I don't know what he sold Whoa. it for. But uh, one of the things I think he did, I think it, I think this is where I read it was that everything was co- – he didn't know what he was going to call the thing. And he, he built the entire thing with a code name. So everything had – he just used the code name, put it in the pretend logo that he had or whatever he did, used it everywhere. And then he could kind of do search and replace later. But he, he deferred even the need to buy a domain name or to decide what the thing was going to be called. He totally deferred that stuff. Nice. Um, I think that's a great idea because honestly I, I thought about that for – I spent too long thinking about that before I got started. Mm. about what am I going to call this thing. But anyway, uh, Google Apps for your domain is a great free service as a way to get uh, email and you know documents and just kind of basic services. You can obviously use Gmail and stuff, but I always thought it was a little more professional to have you know, Aaron at BeautifulSavings.com instead of AaronLurch at gmail.com. Or little, it seems like... Little tip there, what I do, because I, I always use Google Apps for my domain... I mm-hmm. then forward the emails to my personal ah. address, and then you can res- register that account in your personal and tell it that whenever I, whenever you see it come in over beautifulsavings.com, reply from beautifulsavings.com. But I that still get fantastic. that unified interface, which is great. That is fantastic. Uh, I am writing that down <laughs> in the air with my finger right now. <laughs> make uh, make an animal balloon to remember that. <laughs> yeah, hang on, hang on, let me. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. I <laughs> already did a swan. It's a giraffe. And Google Voice was the last one I had. Um, again, in my case, local businesses, I was very reliant on personal contact because I thought that was very important, especially for local small businesses, right? Like I, I wanted them to have an email address. Most of them don't even do email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or they give me their business card and their business card says, you know, hotpants91 at yahoo.gov.co.uk. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, that's your business email? <sighs> 
so that they're very, you know, very interpersonal um, and not through email. But I gave them my email address and I gave them a phone number and I used Google Voice for that so that I could come, I could bring it right to my phone. I could decide if I wanted to answer it at the moment. Again, I was, I am full-time software developer. I'm in meetings. You know, I want to be responsive to my customers or potential customers. But the reality was, you know, there's somebody over here paying me a lot of money. You're paying me very little money. I did have to kind of take that into account. I wasn't going to interrupt a meeting with our CEO to take the call from the flower shop to say, you know, I want to update my coupon. Google Voice was a great way to manage that. Um, it offered a lot of features. If it dropped a call in my particular case, I didn't mind because it wasn't that critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I, I've talked with small businesses about implementing Google Voice at their business. Very, And that's not necessarily the best idea because if it does drop calls, you know, that can be a very business impacting thing for them. So for so me, it was about, great. What about legal stuff? What type of legal stuff do you have to do in the beginning when you're bootstrapping? Uh, yeah. What, what's my disclaimer? I'm not a lawyer. So anything <laughs> I say, you might end up with your, your dog might die. Your house might burn down. Uh, you know, your truck might break down. Your girlfriend might leave you. This is your unprofessional advice. So that's if you follow my advice, that stuff can happen. I have no guarantees. Um, so what yeah, did you what did you do, right? <laughs> not, <laughs> or what not did you not, not do? Much. I did not do much when it came to the legal stuff. That was actually on my uh, list of things to do. I did contact. Uh, so there are lawyers that specialize in startups and small businesses and stuff like that that can help. Hopefully, you know, I never got far enough to find out about pricing and stuff. I, I don't actually don't even. The only lawyer I know I th- is a divorce attorney, and that, um, that sounds <laughs> that may worse. That not be a good thing. That sounds, she, actually, she's a family attorney, but that sounds way worse <laughs> than I meant it. I don't know her professionally. I know her personally. Um, but there are – I did contact a local Indianapolis developer who's who's pretty well recommended within the start, you know, the small startup community. Mm-hmm. Um, talked to him a little bit, but I never really – that was one of those things that was going to be more of a financial investment. And in fact – and so I never actually went down that route. I shut down the business before I got that far. Um, there's well, you know, there's LegalZoom.com if you need to go buy a yeah. quick contract, or you can buy privacy policies on there, I believe. And in terms and of service, and, and that is one thing with stuff like online payment, they require you to have those things. You have right. if you're. I did Square, right? So it didn't matter. But if you're going to have online payment, they do require terms of service and privacy policies to two things you have to have so that's a great that's a great point any other uh what was it i heard something about a a free privacy policy.com i said yeah free privacy policy just google it it's ghetto i mean it's not ghetto it's, it's a decent app um but they're just gonna spam the hell out of you so i'd use a mailinator.com email <laughs> account you uh, have to, to put your email to, in to get yeah, it. Yeah, you have to provide an email address ah. to get to get the final thing. Um, but yeah, it does a pretty good job. It goes through all the legalese, and you know, if you're in you know if you're in California and you collect this, and you got to say that, and you got blah 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 blah. Um, so That's yeah, it's, cool. it's yeah, it's pretty good. So but in general, if, don't worry about this stuff too much in the beginning, right? Because I mean, you may shut exactly. this down in a few months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless someone requires it. Uh, and or if you want to do it for you know just good tidings, I think a privacy policy. Everybody should just have a privacy policy on there. That's and a I, I agree, but you, know, you don't that, have to go out and pay a lawyer to make no, it. No, 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 no. Right. You know, and and you know terms. Eh, you know, again, until we know that people are willing to to give us money for what we've built, it's not that important. Yeah. 
Cool. And if you do, uh, you know, I'm not saying you should do this, but if you did go borrow like a privacy policy from somebody, just make sure that your privacy policy on your business doesn't say Facebook terms and policies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, if you did that, not saying you should. Um, so how, yeah, about, how about logo and branding? You've got yes, that in your notes. Here. So now, now we're getting into stuff that starts to cost a little bit. Um, there's for look. There's all manner of, of thoughts on this stuff. Um, I actually paid somebody to do a logo for me because I, I actually don't know why I did that. <laughs> That's kind mm-hmm. of one of the things that I sort of wish I maybe wouldn't have done. Um, can, can you share how much it cost? I paid. I uh, or I'm embarrassed. Oh, I'll share it. I'll share it. I, okay. I, I don't mind embarrassing myself, but it is a little bit. I paid eight hundred dollars to a local guy to do a, a logo for me. Okay, that sounds about uh, the going rate. I 99 just, yeah, designs 99 yeah, designs so or logo works i i was what's 99 designs charge is it 300 somewhere yeah, that? I yeah. Think it's about 300 yeah and i debated that one for a while i ended up i actually this sounds maybe it sounds cliched but i ended up going with a local guy because i actually did want to support my local folks and yeah. there is that whole no spec work thing out there that a lot of designers get miffed about the 99 designs and what 99 designs is for people that don't know is a website where you go and say here's my business this is what we do uh i'd like to buy a logo and it's a contest so you you are not guaranteed any money just by making the logo and you only get money if i choose you as the winner of the contest so you're doing work on the promise of maybe getting some pay but no guarantee yep the nice thing is it gives you choice right it gives you a bunch of options to choose from so in my case, I went with a local uh, designer guy, and he gave me a couple options, but they were all kind of similar, right. and obviously, right? Because they were all from the same guy. And uh, and he has so a favorite I, for sure, and he's like, eh, I'll go make these other like two or three, but clearly this he, is the one I spent the time on because I like he, it, right? He showed me the page, and there's one that's you know four inches wide, and the rest are an inch wide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's like, what do you think of all these? What about this one? Right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the downside of 99designs uh, is that you don't have veteran designers usually on a site like that. You've got yeah. people that are international where yeah, $300, yeah. $300 whoa, whoa, for a logo whoa, whoa, whoa. is a big deal in the Philippines. I mean, hell, that's he, great. But yeah, you're but probably not going to get the local guy working on there. No, but you, the no. fact of the matter is, is there's probably about four or five people in Indianapolis that really would be able to be considered, you know, true professional logo designers. Mm-hmm. The rest are are worse, uh, if not maybe equal to some of those assholes in the Philippines. I could tend to agree with that. And the guys that are are really worth their salt, you can't afford them. Exactly. Yeah, you can't afford that. Yeah. Dude, right. <laughs> and, and the thing too is that the, the 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 guys that do it that are especially the pro guys that you're talking about, they do branding, right? It's not not yeah. just logo it's branding and that's especially when you're bootstrapping something you really got to think about is that important to me yet and of course they'll make the case that it is and i'm just not sure about that well, like you don't I even see, know your brand totally at that point exactly i could see definitely doing like a 99 designs to get something you know yep. hey, you know but then there's the other side of there the other thoughts that say you don't even need anything right like uh um my Vidster, Marcus, right? A local guy here, Marcus. Yep. He runs myvidster.com. He made his own logo. His, his entire site, he has done it all himself, and he's not a graphics guy. And, and he's it works. Def- he's, it totally and it works. works. He's, a big, he's huge into like this is not it, – it's so true. We're so stuck on stuff that's pretty, but the reality is functional and adds value. We'll, we'll kick the crap out of pretty almost any day. Um, pretty is nice, and it gives that extra flair, and I think it's really important. 
someday, but like when you're bootstrapping, functional, like usable, you know, good usability, functional, and um, adds value, does something worthwhile, or like those are the things you need to focus on. Well, I like your note in here too about Typekit for fonts because if you go to talentopoly.com, you'll notice there really isn't a graphical icon or, or brand really for it. It's just the word Talentopoly in a, in a nice font. It's not just Arial or Helvetica. But just go out and find a nice font would be my suggestion for your bootstrapped version and just type out your name and there's your logo. And you yeah. can put that anywhere you want. You know, go buy a $20 font somewhere or heck, use like a Google web font if you want. You can download those even. And Google can, web fonts are awesome. Google web fonts. There's yeah, not too many of free. them. They're great. Yeah, well, they're, they're like hundreds, but there aren't too many that are really good. You're right. Yeah. The, now the thing op- with Open Sans, by the way, Open Sans is a pretty solid font. The thing with um, Typekit, I think it's fifty bucks for the year, and you get access to a ton of fonts. So if you're even if you're kind of thinking about buying a font, especially to use on your website instead of on your um, <laughs> t-shirts or business cards. Sorry, all I hear is a shirt rubbing the microphone. Ah. Who is that? Yours. It's not me. Oh, what the hell? I don't hear it. <laughs> you don't you don't hear it, Jared? No, I actually don't hear it. I think your maybe your mic is going bad. Huh. Huh. Well, can anyway. We, can we continue or is it yeah, too yeah, bad? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Because I'm like not even moving over here, <laughs> I, so can do, but I I mean if it with the font Oh sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh but with Typekit, it's like fifty bucks for the year, I think. And you get access to a ton of fonts. So if you're thinking of doing any kind of custom fonts on your website especially, you know, to go purchase a font, if you want to get uh, the base font plus bold plus italic plus whatever, um, you know, it can be like 100 bucks sometimes for, a you know, if you want a very specific font. And that's probably not necessary at all. But one thing I did like about Typekit was I felt like for a fairly low cost, a, a very low monthly fee, it gave me a lot of options, and I liked having all those options. And they're all pretty good anyway. And they're good. Yeah, it's good options. It's not like uh, a lot of crap because you're, you know, you're paying something for it. So, cool. Anyway, um, one of the, one other, two other, two or three other things I wanted to mention for <laughs> two, sure three, were four, ten. Yeah, about <laughs> just a quick another twenty-five items. <laughs> uh, registering an LLC. So in my case, what I did, I, I'm. I like to keep, so I'm, you know, my wife and I, we keep a budget, right? And we, we kind of track our income and we into categories. We're, we're fairly good about keeping track of that kind of stuff. So I like, I, I didn't really want to, I didn't relish the idea of having business expenses completely overlaid in the same thing as personal expenses, which is totally legit. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so what I did, uh, None of this you, is, you could be a sole proprietorship. Right? You could be a sole proprietorship, which doesn't even require you, I think, to register with the uh, government. I think it's a nine. When I've registered them, it's like nine dollars at a local municipality. Oh, look at that! So I, I ended up registering an LLC. So I have I have an accountant that gave me some advice, and she very wisely um, said, "Register an LLC. It's like ninety dollars, I think." Mm-hmm. It took about in Indiana. It differs in, by state. It can be five hundred dollars a year in Massachusetts, I believe. That's ugh. that's annually. So, so we got it pretty one, good here. So step one is move to Indianapolis. <laughs> move, move to Indiana. Uh, come work at me at Interactive Intelligence. Uh, we're hiring. <laughs> we're hiring. We're hiring. Um, 
uh, I registered an LLC in Indiana. It cost about 90 bucks. It took about 15 or 20 minutes on the website. I had the articles of incorporation and all the other, there's one other document that goes with it. Mm-hmm. No, I had the articles of incorporation from that within, within a minute of doing all this. It, it was brain dead simple. They've done it very well. I can post a link in the show notes to, um, the actually the Indiana secretary's secretary of state's website has an entrepreneur's guide to starting a business in Indiana that covers pretty much the basics. The thing with an LLC. Oh, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. wait, no, I'll, I'll, I'll see if you mention it and then I'll interject. Well, the thing with the LLC is, uh, it gives you flexibility for the future. It's basically the same as a sole proprietorship in terms of you still report your income on your tax, on your individual tax return. Um, there's under no under your social security number, under your social security number. You can do all that stuff. Um, but, but you do you, you do need to have to a registered in. agent. That's the one thing that I found is that you do uh, need to pay if you are operating the business out of your home and there are times when maybe somebody would not be there during the day to have tax papers to uh, I mean or like legal papers delivered if somebody were suing you or whatever. That's where Indiana does require and it's great that Indiana does require this. Some states don't. But you have to have a registered agent which is a business address that somebody will be there nine to five, guaranteed Monday through Friday to accept any type of papers that get delivered. Really? Yes. <clears throat> what? Yes. I um I. So can we can the three of us collectively agree that someone will be at a house between nine and five, and we'll just sort of do that for each other? Because I don't. There. Yeah. There. I found a couple of services out there. One I bought like five years worth for like two hundred dollars. And what they do, this is kind of a smart little business they've got going. They've just set up an office or like a P.O. box. Uh, it's not a P.O. box because you can't technically just go get a P.O. box and do this. I looked into that too. But they have a very simple mailing location where they are paying, I'm sure, almost nothing to have it. One of these in every state. And then they get thousands of people to use them as the registered agent. Mm. And they will check it once a day. And and then send that stuff on to you and, and also filter out any spam and that crap that comes in, too. So it's kind of nice wow. in that regard because I actually didn't want to give my home address because oh. then I knew like all of like, hey, we noticed that you are a business now. You need to frame your thing, you know, your articles <laughs> of incorporation and like all this other crap that comes in the mail. And I didn't want any of that. So I actually recommend doing it even if your state doesn't require it. I should have talked to you a year and a half ago because I'm still getting freaking – I got something from a restaurant that was like, congratulations, you know, welcome local, local fellow business owner. And I'm like, oh, yep. no, yeah. here's 25 coupons for your employees. And here's a package of 100 to hand out at your door. And I'm like, oh, son of a. <laughs> and on the upside, my daughter's paper drive at her school, we have done very well in that. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, awesome. paper, the recycling, you know. So I think I interrupted you there. Sorry. What else were you saying about LLC? No, that well, basically just that it, it gives you flexibility for the future, right? So if you end up partnering with somebody or uh, changing your business in some way related to the structure of it like that, like in terms of the number of people involved and how it's how it's structured, you start having employees or whatever, it, it, it scales with you on how you do that. It, it gives you that flexibility. And because you can file your taxes as though it's a sole proprietorship, there is really no reason not to go do the LLC. Right. It's not going to exactly. make it more expensive to file your taxes. Exactly. Yep. And the other – so then uh, from a tax perspective, I had our accountant do our taxes a couple of years, but really it wasn't that complex. So I started doing them myself and like TurboTax small business yep. worked fine for me. 
No make problem. sure make sure you write down all those business business expenses throughout the year. Like it's hard to get in the mode of thinking about it, but if you go out and have a business lunch, you know, and you're talking to somebody about beautiful savings or about your company, mm-hmm. that's a legit business expense and that's that's what you do. You record those and you keep the receipts and you document all that and claim those at the end of the year and take advantage of the fact that you do have an LLC yep. or you have it, a business. You can do it with a sole proprietorship too. So another thing I did was I went to a local credit union um, that I'm familiar with that I respect and trust and I signed up with a small business checking account with them, mm-hmm. which I th- – I, don't actually think that it costs anything for the level of uh, um, the level of money that I was tra- you know transferring in and out and stuff, and I got a debit card with that, and I put all business expenses on that debit card, so that for tracking purposes now it's very easy. I to- I literally just kept everything separate. Home expenses went you know on my own account. Yep. Business expenses went on that account. I could sign up for recurring billing on that account and not worry about it. You know whatever I needed, um, I didn't have to worry about keeping things mixed into our one account and then like you said tracking this and that it really helped with that i could get business i got business checks because i was uh, again i was paying some commissions to some uh you know my friends that were doing some selling so i just you know just normal checks i got a 10 20 bucks for a checkbook and wrote them checks and stuff excellent well those yeah. are a lot of really great tips yeah we didn't really hit on much software stuff mostly it's the the hosted services, you know, the online online hosted services are yeah. huge for and bootstrapping a business. Use whatever you can that's already been built and that you can talk to the guys and try to get it for free even if there's not a free plan listed. Yeah, you've got you've got a great talk on this. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it – maybe you'd call it a talk. I don't know. But you've got a great – you did a write-up about what you did with Talentopoly that was fantastic, I thought. You should Thanks. share that yeah. or talk about it or whatever, but that yeah. was awesome. Are you talking about the meetup that I went to, your meetup? Yeah, yeah. so for a while I, I organized a meetup uh, for Indianapolis about people, developers working on side projects and uh, because that's a lot of people. And we had, you know, we had at least three people come. <laughs> but, it, was, it was a good time. Yeah, but you came and talked about what you've done with Talentopoly and that was pretty awesome. I love I love using existing services. I don't want, I want to write as few lines of code as possible and I actually think that the fact that most of our conversation tonight was not technical, even though this is a technical podcast, even like really hits home that point that, look, guys, this isn't about writing code. If you are – this is business, and if you are bootstrapping a business, it is about getting ideas validated, getting user feedback to do that, finding out what people will pay you for, finding what sticks, what – you know, try to pivot as much as possible, fail fast, and write the code that's necessary to get to that next stage in the business – Mm-hmm. Or or get out of the business and start something else. So mm-hmm. I think it really makes the point that we didn't have to talk about a lot of technology tonight. Yeah. But let's talk about some great things that were posted on Talentopoly over the last two weeks. So this will if you have that technology itch that didn't get scratched yet, we will try to scratch that right now. So our first link tonight is GitHub for Windows was released. Have you guys gotten a chance to try GitHub for Mac? I know you're on, on a Mac, right, uh, Aaron? Or are you on Windows? Both. Both. Nice. Have you tried GitHub for Mac? I have. What did you think of it? Um, I don't know. I'm a command line kind of guy. I got a little confused because I already had a bunch of GitHub repos on, you know, already on my machine. Mm-hmm. And it, for some reason it didn't, it didn't, I wasn't, I didn't add them right or didn't discover them right. So I, it just got, a, I got a little confused about whether it really knew about my repo correctly or, or not. Um, 
I, I guarantee it was something I did and not something it did, but I just stick to the command line when it comes to that. I'm I'm very command line driven with Git as well. So I I, I checked it out when it first got released and it was a little buggy and kind of early days for it. And I was like, yeah. But this GitHub for Windows got released and I'm actually really excited about this because I unfortunately I'm not a huge Windows fan, as some people longtime listeners may know, and I have to use Windows at a client site that I work at Monday through Thursday. And there are not many good Git-based GUIs for Windows to see diffs in because that's the one thing I don't try to do in the command yeah. line is I do my diffs. And so I, I, you know, I have Git Tower on the Mac, and I love Git Tower. You know, I actually paid for it. Fantastic. And I have to use the standard Git GUI that ships with Git on Windows. And, you know, it's what you'd expect guys who are amazing at programming and client-side, you know, the, <laughs> the just command line-driven stuff. These are the guys that did the kernel and everything for Linux – they cannot design a GUI hmm. and Git GUI sucks. So I have yet to download this, but I'm actually excited to download GitHub for Windows just to do my diffs in a pretty nice looking GUI on Windows XP. Windows XP? That's what they force on me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was happy to find out that, yes, because it's a .NET application, it works on Windows XP. It uses yeah. a Metro style UI, which will be interesting on windows xp but i kind of like the cl- the cleanness of it as well so do you like uppercase words <laughs> exactly and things that go all the way to the edge of the chrome yep so anyway did you have any I inst- thoughts on- i installed it at work i installed it at work at work oh, yeah? we, i use windows so i installed it there but uh, i haven't done any diffs with it i usually do i usually use um perforce for diffing okay yeah, there's also uh, some Git X Windows GUI stuff that you can use and check out, but I think this might be a pretty good alternative to those things on Windows. Do you have uh, any experience with this brand or anything you'd like to add? Yeah, no, I've used the GUI, um, and and you know it's fine. I, I I'm not, I, I don't have a whole lot of projects that I'm actively using it in. So I mean, all in all, it was like, man, okay, got it. Right on. I'll use I'll use it when I need it. They do have a clone in Windows button now that's on all the Git repositories on the website. So kind of uh, curious to see if that increases the adoption of Git and GitHub because it's just now a lot easier for the Windows users to maybe didn't know it to start using it. All right, our second link is Kern and Burn, a publication about design entrepreneurship. Very interesting website. Uh, They're basically celebrating designers who are being entrepreneurial by doing an online slash offline uh, long form curated publication. So they have this 100 days of design entrepreneurship that they've done on their website. They've uh, interviewed some very notable people like Swiss Miss and uh, Cameron Kozan, who has also been on the Talonopoly podcast about Brooklyn Beta and some other really cool guys that you should probably get to know and maybe reach out to and talk to them. And so what they've done is they've gone through and interviewed these people and they have a Kickstarter project as well where they're trying to create, they're trying to get enough money to create a book and put all this uh, nice long form stuff in a book. I, I like it because it's a breath of fresh air instead of these short little blog posts that are kind of one and done. You you forget about them quickly. It's kind of neat to see somebody taking the time to really craft something and create, you know, create like a hundred days worth of interviews with people that you want to hear what they have to say. So that's that's kind of my two cents on it. If you guys have anything to add, just feel free to jump on in. <laughs> Keep talking, buddy. You're doing yeah, great. Yeah. Great. Let's move on to the commuting coder. How to stay sharp on the go. 
Have you guys had a job where you're not the one driving to your job where you're actually, you could be programming or learning or doing something during your commute? I, um, I was really close to hiring a driver. If that counts, <laughs> that would have been for that. For that, that would very be awesome. Reason. Yeah. For that very reason, but it was too expensive. Uh, That's when you were thinking um, of moving to Azure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, because I, I always thought, man, my God, I could be so, you know, that's why I listen to audiobooks while I drive because I figure I might as well be doing something productive. So, I, you know, but yeah, I'm in the car, you know, if I'm leaving, I'm in the car two hours a day. And it's like I could be doing some serious work if I had somebody hauling my ass around. Absolutely. That's too bad. I mean, what was the cost? Like over 100 bucks a day or something? Um, I've had, I had everybody go from, I had one dude say he'd do it for 300 bucks a week. Okay. And that kind of that scared me a bit. Right. So I, probably I didn't the follow up on that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was anywhere from five, you know, to to six hundred bucks, you know, a week. Ouch. Yeah, and that was just you know not enough. Yeah. Well, the productivity you, gains might not be worth it. Right. I want to see somebody like jog to work and have like a mount for their MacBook Air, so like programming <laughs> while they jog to work, <laughs> like awesome. knock into some telephone pole on the way. <laughs> they'd, they'd have a webcam mounted on the top facing forward. So it could do like that, you know, heads up display overlay in front of the. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, if, I've if, thought about taking the bus because there's actually a bus stop right out, right okay. down the street from my house. Yeah. But the way the bus system works in Indianapolis is it's like spokes on a wheel, right? So I live on the east side. I work on the west side. So I would have to go all the way downtown and then all the way back out again. And it would be, I think, about an hour and a half commute one way. Wow. And again, to this whole, it's just not worth it. Not worth it at that point. Totally not worth it. Well, if you are one of those people that maybe is unlucky enough that you don't get to work at home, but you're lucky enough you get to ride some form of transportation that you're not navigating it, uh, here are some tips. And number one that I really liked in here was, it, you know, of course, have your laptop with you. Nice, lightweight one like a MacBook Air would be really good. But one thing you don't normally think of is that you if you need documentation, you may not have if you don't have some kind of 3G card or something, you don't have connectivity. So there is a program called Dash that can help you with this. It's really great. You can actually take snippets and download documentation into it and search your documentation. So all those libraries you're using and you know, the programming languages, whatever, you can just load all that stuff into Dash and boom, you've got your documentation. Nice little tip there. Seems like if you're going to be doing this, you know, it'd almost be worth the extra money to have, you know, a tethering plan on whatever phone you've got. Probably. As long you know as, I mean? as long as like the connection is going to be decent the whole that's way. That's true. That could be you're part of the problem. To, if you're in a subway, I suppose that's right. a good example of something that might not work. Uh, and then of course, use a distributed version control system. As far as if you don't feel like coding, or you know, doing anything that active, and you just want to watch something. He's got some great uh, Rails casts and Vim casts and screencast links in here, so you can go find some good videos to watch and learn some stuff. You could actually check out some keynote videos from conferences that have just happened. He's got some good ideas on that. Uh, let's say you don't want to watch video, you just want to listen. He's got some great links to podcasts you could listen to, keep up to date on things. Uh, Talent Athlete Podcast is missing from this list, so it's not perfect, but <laughs> it's a pretty good list. Uh, and he does talk about how to drone, how to block out distraction if you've got talkers next to you. Sometimes you sit down the train or the bus or whatever, you sit down next to somebody who's really chatty on the phone or whatever. You know, how do you still concentrate on what you're doing? So he recommends certain gear for that, certain headphones and whatnot. 
And then I thought you might like this, Brandon, for his to-dos, ideas, and backlog. He says, you've got a lot of downtime. You're going to be thinking of ideas. You're going to get that. You're going to get those million-dollar ideas. You're like, oh, my God, I need to spend the next three months building this thing, right? I know the whole world's going to want it. And what I loved is that he said, you don't need anything crazy for this, just a simple text file or even a piece of paper, Corbinizer maybe. Go download the Corbinizer and write down those ideas and to-dos like, oh, yeah, I need to get back to so-and-so or I need to fire off these emails when I get, you know, to the office or whatever. And so keep track of that type of stuff. What was the second thing you said there? The, the Corbinizer? Like, the Corbinizer. No, 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 no. The first thing was like a No, a it was the Corbinizer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one and only. Simple text file, which this is No, that was I, the first thing you said. What was the second thing? It was like a piece of paper. Yes. What piece is of that? paper slash Corbinizer. They're basically the same thing. Oh, okay. Corbinizer so Corbin? is one of Brandon's million-dollar ideas. So you can go to the website and download or just print out right from there yeah. a nicely formatted, like, it's seven days, right? Yeah, seven days. So seven-day little to-do list thing. And it, he's yeah, got a nice Corbin, little Corbinizer.com. He's got it's a video that shows it's you a, how no, to No, literally, it it's just a PDF, and, you, and I have instructions on how you fold it, and it turns it into, like, an eight-page book, and oh it's at hell. <laughs> there are listeners of this podcast. Dude, Brandon, who have- you are awesome, man. I think... <laughs> I swear there I've I've met you a couple a bunch of times now. Yeah, there's yeah. every time there's a new thing that you've done that you did it like ten years ago or something like that. And it's like it's <laughs> I'm just like I'm 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 yeah. impressed. There I'm are impressed. people though that have emailed me, users of Townopoly that have like I listened to the podcast last night. Oh my god, <laughs> I love the Corbinizer. I use it every day now. I'm not uh, kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. As long that as I so can awesome. write printer foo on mine, then I'm good. <laughs> exactly. Hey, by the way, can I interrupt one second? Absolutely. If, have you guys ever uh, heard of Octopress? Yes. We, we've talked about it a couple times. You have? I yes. mean, I knew that because I listened to every episode. Mm. And so as I was thinking about that episode where you talked about it, <laughs> uh, the, the commuting coder link that you guys that we were just talking about, um, I just thought it was really interesting. The guy customized the uh, header of his Octopress blog. And he's got a really interesting animation on the header if you mouse over the yes. yield the dog. That is kind of cool. And, and it's all CSS JavaScript because it's an H1 tag. I, of course, I have to right-click and say inspect element to look at this thing. But yeah. <laughs> it's very smooth. Anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, thanks for adding that in there. And I think he probably did this when he was commuting to work one day. He's like, yeah, you know, think I'm bored. That too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, our next link is building an iOS photo sharing in geolocation mobile client and API. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but it's a great document that Heroku has published. I I kind of underestimated what this document was going to be when I went here. Uh, Heroku is really trying to make it simple and straightforward for somebody to just, hey, you want to build that iPhone app that allows people to take photos and geotag them and upload them? Well, hell, here's the document that tells you exactly how to do that with all the code. And it doesn't, it's not like just go download this code from GitHub and, you know, then file these three commands to upload it. Man, it goes into all the detail. It's like, here's how you go build your controller. Here's how you do your model. Here's how, and they're not leaving any steps out. And what's impressive is this is not a ridiculously long uh, document. You can scroll through it pretty quickly here. I doubt this would take you more than maybe two hours if you're just somewhat familiar with some of these things to just go through and do this. And at the end of it, you're going to have your first iPhone app that actually works with a Rails API that you control, that you built, hosted on Heroku. I mean, you'll have the whole soup to nuts system here. That's pretty cool. Yeah, this blew me away. 
So if you're new to either Rails and, or building API services or iPhone apps, any part of that, go check this out. I think this will really blow your mind. All right, let's move on to the next one. Mobile apps must die. <laughs> little op-ed to spice things up here. Uh, the author of this basically making the point that you know, there's a mobile app craze right now. Like, oh, there's an app for that. There's an app for that. You know, whatever it is, go download the app. And the point that the author is making is that this is just a fad. This is something that is going to go away. The web will eventually, the mobile web will will eventually take over. And you're not going to need to go download mobile apps all the time. And the reason for that is that uh, mobile apps mainly are a pain in the ass. Having to go download a mobile app for all the stores that you shop at frequently or you know, all of the different mobile apps you download throughout the day, you end up with dozens and dozens of mobile apps that were a pain to go download a lot harder than just, you know, you got to search them out. You got to say install all the rest of that versus just going to Wait, a what, web what else was there? Sorry. What, what else was there? What, what search, search it out. You got to search install, it out. You got to install what, it. What else was there? Then you got to tap it to bring it up. Then, <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, oh gotcha. no. Yeah. That was the okay. deal breaker well, for me the, right there. But oftentimes they, oftentimes <laughs> they're like, Oh, create an account. Okay, well, let's go create an account. And then the worst part is now you've got dozens of apps on your phone, right? So now you've got screens of them. you got to manage them. You forget about it. Like there are times when I, I get an update notice from the App Store. It's like, well, what the hell? Oh, shit, that's right. I downloaded that like three months ago. I, I, I never use that app. Like I never use it. Should I just delete it or am I going to update it and then continue to kid myself that I'm going to use it in the future? Like do you guys never run into that? Are you using all the apps on your phone all the time? No, no, exactly. So, but here's a, but here's a question because as I skim this, so right now at at work, right, I work at Interactive Intelligence, and we're working on. We just announced a product, the product that I've been working on for a few months now, which is, which is, um, a, a, it's a, apparently what was you don't what know was what that, you've been what doing was that for the last couple of months. Elevator pitch that I'm supposed to have. <laughs> right. It's uh, I'm not the sales guy. What am I? What are you busting me for? It it's, does. It's a it's a framework people. for allowing our customers to build mobile applications, basically. So this is kind of something that we've discussed a lot internally, and that it's it's a very real thing for us right now. Like, right. do we enable our customers to build web apps or mobile apps, or what is what's the deal? But one thing that I thought as I skimmed this was, <clears throat> like, wouldn't you just replace? managing all these apps with managing all these bookmarks because otherwise you're typing in the url every time to go to the app like you'd want to bookmark the app, the web app right so aren't you just trading managing a bunch of icons on the screen for managing a bunch of icons on the screen i would say a little bit of a difference like you know probably not a great example but like you go to let's say you're going to a store you're going to the mall you want to see you know, like what's in stock at some store or whatever. You go to Nordstrom, you're like, okay, you know, or maybe you're just looking at the map because Nordstrom's like three floors. You're like, where where are things? You know, downloading the app versus just going to Nordstrom.com, you don't need to bookmark Nordstrom.com. You're going to remember if you ever come back to Nordstrom.com, oh, yeah, I found that really useful map on their website or I'm in the Indianapolis airport. You know, do I want to download an app? I'm not in the airport all that often. But I could definitely remember to just go to like IndianapolisAirport.com. I don't know if that's their URL or not, but you could right. Google search it and and find out like, oh yeah, okay, this this is a little bit easier. This was less pain, fewer steps I have to go through to just get that map of like where the restaurants are because I've got a long layover. Yeah, I, I would. For, I mean, personally, I would totally advocate both. Right? Like, well, let me let me rephrase that. If a if a if a native app is important and add something 
that definitely that that's important. But mm-hmm. uh, but you know, a native app shouldn't replace a mobile friendly web interface, right? Like, I totally agree. It would be super annoying to have to go download an app, uh, wait for it to download, wait for it to install, log in, blah blah blah, just to find out something that I could have looked up on your website in no right. time. So, but I don't think you have to say. And I haven't read this article in detail, so I'll, I'll say that. But I don't think you have to say this or that, right? Native or right. web. It can definitely be both. But the you know one of the keys is, and this is again something we've talked about a lot in, uh, internally in our team recently, is like what is it about a native app that makes it worth having a native app for? And Apple, I think, has gotten a lot more restrictive lately on what they're allowing. Like if it's something that can be a web app, they're like. You know, this should be a web app, and they'll reject your app. But um, are you using platform features? Are you taking pictures? Are you, you know, whatever? Right. Also, because of the limited processing power on these smartphones, which is only going to get better, doing a client-side app that can, you know, use compiled code, and you know, that's going to be a faster, richer experience for now. But part of the experience, part of the argument this guy's making is that that's only going to get more powerful. And being able to run JavaScript inside of your mobile WebKit browser is going to become a very real possibility for doing some pretty complex things. Yeah, yep, so, totally. And and the more they expose platform features out through JavaScript APIs, for yep. example, the the more that you can do there, the the more it will make a lot more sense. Especially if you look at like the deployment model. Uh, I mean, bug fixing and knowing that everybody who uses this will instantly have the bug, the that, fixed bug. That's a great point. That that's was something huge. I thought of when I first read it. For sure, it's like you know, taking twenty days for. You just submit your new your new update, and they get Apple to approve it, and then finally, like some of your users start downloading, but not all oh, of yeah. them. Man, the web the web server deployment process is just totally more simple, and, and everybody's just getting that newer version immediately. And you, uh, uh, Jeffrey Grossenbach, Grossenbach, Peep Code. Have you ever seen Peep Code screen screencast? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Awesome screencast. He's got a great one. I I, I watched his on uh, JQ Touch a long time ago. When I was doing some mobile stuff for Beautiful Savings, as a matter of fact, because I had a mobile interface for it, and I did a, a mobile web interface, and uh, so his screencast that goes over JQ Touch, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff with offline caching and offline mode. Um, I have actually been surprised. Have you ever used uh, Test Flight for deploying uh, iPhone apps to a beta test group? Yes, ever I, every single time. Yeah, I swear and, I mean, by it. The Test Flight app is a is a mobile web app, right? It's and I, I, you know, the iPhone, you know, way more. I mean, look who I'm talking to. You're like Mr. iPhone, but they've given, they've, there are capabilities that let you do a mobile, mm-hmm. a web based app that is purely installed through the web, like not even, in, you know, but installed is the wrong word, but that's what they originally were going to do. And then there yeah. was enough of an outcry where people said, look, we want to be able to build apps natively for the device. But originally, Apple wasn't even going to have an SDK for that sort of thing. It was going to exactly. be the only web. Yeah, they were they were against it. So I, I think that people are onto something when they say, "Look, that's going to happen." They're, you know, that's really where it's going to be further down the road. The you know, the web these mobile apps, the native ones, never going to go away. They they're definitely ones that deserve to be that. But right now, it's kind of a craze where everybody feels like they have to go create one. Just like, well, we have a website, but we don't have an iOS and Android app yet in the yeah. in the respective stores. And I don't think everybody needs to have one of those. I think a lot right. of people could benefit because. They don't take the time to make a nice mobile-friendly website. They instead have the iOS app. And then you go, you know, you're on your phone and you go to their site and the first thing you get is the splash page. is like, we have an app in the App Store. Like, 
No, I don't. No, <laughs> skip, skip. I thanks, just want to. Thanks for telling me that. No, right. Tell like, me what dude, came to you could just show me the mobile. Like, I know what I want. It's just like I need to see the menu of this restaurant, and I just want it formatted for my phone, and not like you know, not even a PDF. I just want to like go to your slash menu page and see the menu. <laughs> Reminds I want to download it. Reminds me of that XKCD where the narrating the mobile device contacting the web server, right? And the mobile device is like, hi. The web server is like, oh, hi, a new thing. You've requested this page. Oh, hi, I see that you're a mobile device. Oh, let me redirect you to this page. And the mobile <laughs> device is like, what? No, what do you do? Ah, ah, what are you talking about? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. Our final link is the verdict is in. Google did not infringe on Oracle's patents. This is basically uh, the first stage in the trial that is now complete. So they're not completely out of the woods yet. But uh, it's saying that Google uh, does not right now. They do not owe anything to Oracle. And that, that's great news for Android developers because this has been a big point of contention is, well, you know, what type of damages is Google going to have to pay? Are they going to have to make major code changes to the operating system to get around having to pay lots of royalty fees going forward you know what does this mean for android and at least for now it means that that android is staying just how it is and the courts are upholding the way that android has been built so they said that the next up is there are additional patents that still need to need to be deliberated on and they're going to have that set of the trial next. And then if they are found guilty of some of those patents, because I guess this wasn't all of them, this is more so the copyright infringement issue. Mm-hmm. And if they are found that they've done some of that, then there'll be a, a round of damages that will have to be levied against uh, Google for that. But at least things are looking good, and this type of precedent is definitely a good precedent set early on. Yeah. So good news for Android and Google. I mean, too bad for uh, Oracle's lawyers. Yeah, yeah. I, was gonna, I feel really too bad, bad for, for Oracle. You know, dot star. You put anything there, and I don't think anybody cares. Right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of the podcast. To everybody that's made it this far, we love you. Thanks for listening. Go on iTunes. Go on. I loved saying this. I don't know if we're live yet, but I did. A, I did submit the podcast to it to the Zoom Marketplace. Oh yeah. Go on there and leave us a review, just so that we know that people are using the Zoom. Just at all, like the Zoom Marketplace. I would love to know that. And hey, one, of my, uh, one of my best friends is a Zoom user. So, oh, dude, tell him to go on there and write a review. It would make my day, make my week. <laughs> so, write us some reviews, help us uh, move up the charts a little. We love doing that. And until next time, happy hacking.